Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on October 11, 2015, on the basis of Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. If you're ever tempted to think that your life is insignificant, I've got good news for you today. This very day, you can go out and you can do something that no one has ever done in the entire history of the world. If you go home today and take a regular old deck of playing cards and thoroughly and randomly shuffle it up, you will have put those 52 cards in an order that they have never been before in all of human history. I'm serious about that. It's a mathematical certainty. In fact, if you added up all of the possible orders that a a 52-card deck of playing cards can be in, you would get this number. That's 8 with 67 other numbers behind it. Now, I know it's a little bit hard to grasp a number that big, so you can think of it this way. Let's say that every single star in our Milky Way galaxy, there are about 400 billion of them, every single star... We're surrounded by a trillion planets. And every single planet had a trillion people on it. And every single one of those people had a trillion decks of cards. And somehow we're able to shuffle all of those cards a thousand times a second. And that somehow all of those shuffles led to completely unique orders of those cards. Do you know how long it would take to get all of those combinations? 12 billion years. It's a big number. I didn't believe that at first either, but you can go home and look it up. It would take that long. So if you go shuffle a deck of playing cards, you can almost be 100% certain that they've never been in that order before. Now, why do I mention that? Well, I sort of figured that today in church we'd have about as many people here as there are cards in a regular old deck of playing cards. What do you suppose the odds are that that all of you ended up here today? That all of you came here today to hear the same simple idea, this idea that we call the gospel, God's good news. After all, I'm assuming that's why you're here today. After all, that's the name of our church, right? Good news. What do you suppose the odds of that happening are? I don't know if you gave it a whole lot of thought this morning when when you got up and got into the car, but do you realize how many other options you had? Back in 1985, a man by the name of Richard Madsen and another guy by the name of Robert Bella wrote sort of an important book entitled The Habits of the Heart, in which they examined religion and spirituality in America. And their conclusion in that book was that while religion used to be very unified and very public for people, now it's very private, very personal, and also very diverse. In fact, in supporting that conclusion, they cited one woman that they had interviewed, a woman that they gave the fake name Sheila Larson. And in their interview with Sheila Larson, as she talked about her faith, she said, I have absolutely no need for church, no need for religion. I am a believer, but I just listen to the little voice in my own head. Thus dubbing her own unique religion, Sheilaism. Now, the authors concluded on that basis that 
that with that approach to faith, it's entirely possible that there are 320 million different religions in America right now. One for each of us. So again, what do you suppose are the odds that all of you showed up in the same place to hear the same message? Even more than that, how in the world can we say this idea that we're saying during this series, that out of all of the different ideas about God that are out there, there is just one that is different, one that is distinct, one that stands out, this idea that we call the gospel. Well, today we're going to find out. And we turn our attention to these opening verses from Paul's letter to the Romans. And even though I read nine whole verses from Romans chapter 1 before, we are going to focus on just one, the very last one, verse 17. You see it up on the screen. Now, if it seems a little bit odd or maybe even a little bit boring that for the next 10 to 12 minutes we're going to be talking about just this one verse, consider this for a moment. Out of all the verses of the Bible... There are more than 31,000 of them. Out of all the verses in the Bible, this one perhaps defines the gospel more clearly and more completely than any other verse. In fact, it was this very verse that 500 years ago, a German monk named Martin Luther was mulling over in his mind when he first realized what the gospel was, which caused him to raise a dispute with the Catholic Church and eventually led to the birth of Lutheranism. So out of all the verses of the Bible, out of all the options that we might have, if we really want to know what the gospel is, if we really want to know what we are about as a Lutheran church, this is the verse to look at. Let's start with that word, righteousness. Every single person on the face of the earth, is desperately searching for righteousness, even though some of them like to tell themselves that they're not. Some people like to tell themselves that when this life comes to an end, when this life is over, that's it. That's all there is. But then every now and then, some heinous, awful tragedy occurs in our country, like the one that happened last week. A man walks onto a college campus and starts shooting. By the time it's all said and done, ten people are dead, nine victims, one culprit. When something like that happens, there is this strong desire, really an irrepressible desire inside of us that suddenly shows up. And it is the desire that those ten people are not all in the same place. The desire that right now as we speak, all ten of those people are not experiencing the same nothingness. That a person can't just walk into a classroom, take nine other lives, and then completely get away with it scot-free by taking his own. That something and someone are waiting for him on the other side. We have an innate sense an innate desire for justice. And of course, what people naturally desire is in fact true, that on the other side of this life, eternity is waiting for all of us. A period of time that is so long that you, all by yourself, 
One person with one deck of cards, even if you shuffled it just once a year, would have more than enough time to run through all of those possibilities a thousand times over. That's how long eternity will be. And on the other side of this life, that's what's waiting for us, along with the God who will determine where we spend it. And so all of us need this thing called righteousness. What exactly is righteousness? Well, it's more than just the idea that God loves us. Everyone usually sort of assumes, and and rightly so, that God loves people and that God wants people to be in heaven with him. But righteousness means that you are completely fit to be there. Righteousness means that you belong. Righteousness means that absolutely everything between you and your just God is completely good. Everything is square. Everything is settled. In a courtroom, righteousness would look like a judge pounding down his gavel and saying, I declare the defendant not guilty. In a classroom, righteousness looks like a student taking a test and not just passing that test, but getting every single question right. On a baseball field, righteousness looks like a hitter who's not just good enough to make the all-star game, not just good enough to make the Hall of Fame, but who never, ever, ever makes a single out. That's righteousness, and that's what you and I need in order to get into heaven someday. So everyone needs it. Everyone is chasing after it. Oddly enough, sometimes in polar opposite ways. There are some people who would say, well, maybe I can find this righteousness that I need in my work life. If only I get into a good school and then get a dream job and can provide an extravagant lifestyle for my family and help my company and help my customers, then maybe God will approve of me. Other people would say, no way. I'm not going to be addicted to my work. I'm going to find my righteousness in my family life. I'm going to be the ideal spouse the ideal parent. Everyone will think that I have the perfect marriage and that my kids are so well behaved and maybe then God will approve. Some people look for righteousness in their principles. I know what's right and what's wrong no matter what our government says and if our country is going to abandon God then it's going to be over my dead body and everyone's going to know about it. Other people find righteousness in their tolerance. Who am I to condemn someone else for their choices? The Bible tells us not to judge other people lest we be judged. Some people find righteousness in their churchiness. You know, I go each and every week. And all of those songs that we sing, I can sing them all by heart. Other people find righteousness in their charity. Why would I want to go to one of those stuffy churches where they're all just a bunch of hypocrites anyways? I'm going to worship God by helping out other people. I suppose I could go on all day talking about different ways that people look for righteousness. But I suppose the question that's most important is, how do you? You see, each one of us also has our own little voice in our head. Our own little internal compass that points us in a certain unique direction in our relationship toward God. But did you notice what all of those have in common? The common denominator in all of those situations is that righteousness involves work. The assumption that righteousness needs to be 
achieved. In fact, even if we all just listen to that little voice inside of our head, and 320 million people were heading in as many unique directions in their relationship with God, really they all boil down to the same thing. It's just 320 million slightly different variations of exactly the same theme that righteousness takes work. And that's why Paul says what he says next. That the righteousness of God needs to be revealed. That one little word says so much. It tells us that even if all 320 million Americans listened to the voice in their head, not one of them could possibly be right about God. Righteousness is not something that can be found. It's not something that can be discovered. It's not something that can even be stumbled upon even over the course of 12 billion years. The righteousness that God requires that we need to get into heaven needs to be revealed to us. It takes God lovingly approaching us and saying, let me show you. Here it is. More accurately, it takes God lovingly approaching us and saying, let me show you, here I am. If you want to know what righteousness looks like, look no further than Jesus. In Jesus, we have living breathing, walking, talking, righteousness. And of course, in Jesus, we also see God's amazing, irrational, loving plan to give the righteousness that we need to get into heaven, to give that to us as a free gift. That plan was to take all of our sin, all of the times we had fallen short, and put it directly on Jesus, earning him a one-way ticket to that cross. And then taking all of Jesus' perfection and offering it to us completely free of charge in exchange. Only by revealing himself to us in Jesus Christ can we possibly know what Paul says, that righteousness comes by faith. Now be careful when you hear the Bible tell you that you are saved or that righteousness comes through faith. Even then, that little voice inside of your head wants to speak up. It says, aha, faith, I knew it. I knew there was something that I needed to do, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to get me some faith. In fact, I'm going to have the best faith that there ever was. I'm going to have so much faith that all of the people around me are going to admire me and look up to me because I have such great faith. That little voice inside of our head even turns faith into work. But by Paul's definition, faith is the opposite of work. Picture faith this way. Imagine that at school or at work, you're given a project that you are working on together with another person, a partner, a report that you need to write. And as you start to do that project, your partner says to you, you are not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to do the research. You're not allowed to do the writing. You can't even put the paper into the printer. You can't even put the staple on the upper left-hand corner when it's done because if you do anything... You will ruin it all. I'm going to do the whole thing. And then when it is due, you're going to hand it to the teacher and you're going to say, this is mine. Not in the sense of, I did this. 
but in the sense of, I expect you to evaluate me on the basis of this, on the basis of what has been done. It's exactly what our faith is like. Faith is, first of all, humbly saying that if I try and do any of this righteousness that I need to get into heaven, even the smallest of parts, I'm going to ruin the whole thing. But faith also means confidently standing before God and saying, I expect you to evaluate me. I expect you to judge me on the basis of what my Savior Jesus has done. And I trust completely that that is all that I need. And friends, when you and I put that trust in Jesus, God tells us that we have righteousness completely. Not just some of what we need, not just most of what we need, not just a good start that we need to finish, not just the icing on the cake only after we've tried our best. No, notice what Paul says. Righteousness comes by faith from the very first to the very last. So as you think about this righteousness that all of us need, all of us are after, what are your options? There aren't 320 million of them. There are just two. You can pursue righteousness by works, in which case you will never get even the tiniest sliver of it. Or you can pursue righteousness by putting your trust in Jesus, in which case you have it completely. All of that in one verse. If you don't mind, I'm going to sort of do the opposite now. And I want to quickly touch on the eight verses that came before it in about 30 seconds and tell you everything that Paul says. In the eight verses that come before this one, Paul's entire point is this. He says, I am dying to come to Rome. Paul wanted to get to the most important city on the face of the earth. He wanted to go and visit the place where the most influential, the most powerful, the most intelligent, the wealthiest people on the face of the earth lived because he knew that even people like that had one thing that they could not find on their own, one thing that they could not achieve on their own, one thing that needed to be revealed to them, the gospel. And so this verse wasn't just what Paul believed about God. This was also the basis for Paul's mission. So let me ask, out of the 35, 40 people who are here today, do you think that there are 35, 40 people that we know together that don't know the gospel? I would guess that there are. And even though I don't know anything about any of them except the ones that I personally know. In one sense, I do know a whole lot about them. I know that they need righteousness. I know that they're desperately trying to find it. I know that there's no way on earth that they will ever find it on their own. I know it needs to be revealed to them. So as you think about those people, what are your options? Talk about doing something significant. Talk about a significant privilege that God gives to us. That by sharing the gospel, we would be the ones through whom this righteousness, this righteousness that could never be achieved but comes only through faith, this righteousness that no one would ever discover on their own would be revealed. So let's. Amen. 
For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.